My name is Kent. I'm one of the pastors, and I'm really delighted that you're here today to help us as we continue to see the progress of this light moving toward Christmas and the anticipation that one day all the darkness will be dispelled because the light has come. And I actually want to read a passage that's about that today and invite you to join me. It's in the prophet, the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 7. So if you grab a Bible or open up your phone, your device, whatever you read Scripture on, to the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, kind of in the middle. Isaiah chapter 9, starting with verse 1. Before we read this together, I'd like to offer you this prayer. The Lord be with you. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdened them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. It will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from this time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is God's word, and it's true, and we can rely on it. So I think I've shared in the past one of the things I really enjoy about the season is the music. And I was curious this week, I've been hearing all kinds of lists on the radio. I'm listening to the station that plays Christmas music all the time. And they have these little lists in between, like the the best and worst songs, best and worst gifts, best and worst holiday experiences you've ever had. So one of them was the, the most popular Christmas song. Any guesses about what that is? The most popular Christmas song. Oh, Holy Night, White Christmas. So you guys are all listening to music too, right? Okay. The, the most popular um, contemporary song, I guess, is Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You. I guess hands down compared to all the other options. And of the sacred or uh, carol, Christmas carols, religious carols, um, it's kind of a tie depending on what list you're looking at between Silent Night and Oh, Holy Night. Um, as far as the songs that have been recorded the most, Silent Night is the one that has been recorded by the most different artists the most different times. Hands down, twice as many as uh, Oh Holy Night or Joy to the World, which was right there. Almost every song on that carol list you would not be surprised about, except number eight surprised me. Number eight on the most popular religious Christmas carols, Jingle Bells. <laughs> Who knew, huh? Okay, so I got, a, I got a list for you that we made up of the things that are the most annoying about Christmas or the, most, uh, the things that bother you the most about Christmas. 
I think that's what we called it. And uh, would you like to guess what number 10 is? We'll go backwards. Number 10. Christmas. Oh, is number 10. Dumb songs. Have you ever noticed that? There are songs out there that really... Who would ever think of a song like that? And I, my personal one is 12 Days of Christmas. Does anybody really enjoy singing that song? Do any of you have a tradition in your families where you have to like do it, the whole thing, and everybody does different parts? I hate that tradition. Okay, uh, Christmas complaints, fruitcake, number nine. Number eight, greed, yeah, okay. Yeah, who wants all those? We got a bag of cookies sitting on the counter, and I look at that bag every day, and you have to have one for breakfast. Okay? Too much family time. Is it possible? Okay, Christmas is too commercial. Get the wrong gift. And I'm not sure if that is... I. I thought I was getting you the right gift, but I got you the wrong gift. Or I wanted something different and I got the wrong gift. I'm not sure. Maybe both fit. Biggest complaint from Christians is that Christmas is not really a Christian holiday anyway. Have you heard that one? It's really a recycled kind of pagan holiday that we've just kind of co-opted, I guess. Um, Unrealistic expectations. That's the Clark Griswold nightmare of Christmas. You've got really high expectations for it. And then the number one thing that is a complaint about Christmas is that it misses the point that we get so caught up in all the other stuff of Christmas that we lose sight of what Christmas is really all about. And I, I don't think this is why Advent was created in the Christian calendar, but it's certainly how Advent has been playing itself out, that it helps us get back on point and that what we really need is we need the four weeks of December leading up to Christmas to help us get back on point and to stay on point. And what we said this Christmas season or this Advent season was we were going to try to focus on one big thing to help us stay on point this Christmas, and that was to behold King Jesus. Remember how we started two weeks ago? We're going to just try to find time to behold King Jesus. And Jeremy helped reinforce that last week when he talked about the understanding of the purpose for which Jesus was born. And because Jesus was born with a specific purpose to come save us, we also have a purpose to try to share that message with other people. This helps us behold King Jesus. And we're going to continue that day today by reflecting on what are the expectations that we have for this baby who was born to be a king. Do we have realistic expectations or do we need to kind of adjust our expectations? And I think that's part of the reason why this is so important for us in our current culture is that the the basic idea of Christmas has been so distorted from a Christian perspective that sometimes we don't even recognize it. Our expectations get off. Yours do and I know mine do. And can we get our expectations back on track? And so I'm thinking about the music that we sing and we find ourselves singing as an indication of how far our expectations go off. Have you been singing any version or part of this song at all? Making a list, checking it twice, gonna find out who's or nice. Okay, who's nice? According to the Christian worldview, 
None of us are nice. We're all naughty. Okay, so we have to overcome this kind of cultural perspective that says, you know, if we were just all a little better people, if we all just pulled together, if we were a little kinder and a a little more generous, then we could bring peace on earth, especially this time of year, right? Isn't that the main Christian sentiment that's out there? And instead, we Christians come and we say, you know what? There's no way you could have been nice enough, so we have to send a baby who's going to live a perfect life and grow up and be nailed to a cross to pay the penalty for your naughtiness. That's what we're saying. You see how far out of whack our expectations can get if we're not careful. Think, yeah, everyone's basically good and we're just going to celebrate that at Christmas time. Or, no, everyone's basically naughty and needs to be saved. And so a Savior had to come and be born as a person so that we could be saved. This is the adjustment to our expectations that I'm going to suggest today. And one of the places we can turn to help with that adjustment is to the prophets. The prophets were really good about kind of helping us get a grip on things. And this is often the readings that are given to us for the season of Advent. And Isaiah 9-6 is one of those. Now, one of the complaints or Uh, I didn't see this on any of the list of complaints about Christmas, is that Christmas is too gloomy. Have you ever heard that complaint? Sometimes Christmas is hard for people who are grieving the loss of loved ones, but typically we don't hear this complaint, oh yeah, we, we got too much gloom last Christmas. We need to like ratchet that up a little bit. But I did come across an interesting article in USA Today just after I'd written this little introduction And it was Christmas songs that are in the key of blue. Did anybody else see that? A list of Christmas songs that are actually quite gloomy. And um, they listed several. I guess there's one actually called Blue Christmas, Elvis Presley. The um, I'll be home for Christmas if only in my dreams. Like this is kind of gloomy when you think about it, I guess. And then there's a couple of different Christmas songs about, yeah, um, I'm not with my baby, you know, that I wish I would be, or... Last Christmas I gave you my heart and the next day you gave it away? That's kind of gloomy. The one song I was kind of surprised wasn't on there was that song, have you heard this one about some guy at the grocery store on Christmas Eve and he runs into some old friend and they go out and have a drink in the parking lot? You know that song? And there's a line in that song that says, we tried to reach beyond the emptiness but neither one knew how. I think it's called Old Lang Syne or something like that, some song like that. Who needs Christmas music like that? We don't really want gloom at Christmas, but the prophets start with gloom, especially Isaiah. Did you catch that in the very first verse of our reading? He says this, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. Might think kind of rude for him to even bring it up this time of year. Do we need to talk about the gloom? He's talking to people who have been very distressed. These people have been living in a condition where they are anxious about what's going on in their life. And the thing that has created anxiety is this kind of impending doom and gloom that comes, first of all, because they're living in a nation who had kings that were sometimes very wicked and very corrupt, very unfaithful kings. And so they are looking at the person who's leading their nation and they're concerned because it's, that this person is not faithful to God's word. That would create some gloom and doom. 
They're also looking outside their country at those who are surrounding them, and they're threatening to invade them. I mean, they're under risk of invasion, and these people are being threatened with being carried away into exile. That's the kind of conditions that they're living in, that at any moment the life that they know could be disrupted so that it's destroyed completely and tragically, either from the corruption within or from the invasion without. This is the kind of conditions that Isaiah is writing to. And, you know, when I read these prophets, I think these people are probably not that different than you and I, okay? So if you were living in a condition where you thought that God was good and God was faithful and God was powerful and God was capable and God cared, and then you looked around you and you start to see, but it looks like my world is on the brink, it's teetering, it could be taken from me. I could be thrown into disaster and despair. And then you begin to wonder, is God paying attention to this world? Is God watching over us? Does God care? Is God going to do something about this trouble that's brewing? Does God love me? Does God love us as a people? Now, sometimes in my relationship with God, I'm absolutely convinced that God is alert God is attentive, he's watching, God cares, God is deeply engaged and providing, and I, I, I know it, I feel it with every part of who I am. But there's times when I look at my life and I look out into the world and I, I wonder, where is God in this? Is God going to show up? Is God still paying attention? Does he still care? Is he still watching? Have any of you ever been in a distress like that where you kind of wondered, what is going on here? Is God going to do anything about this? This is the kind of people that Isaiah is writing to. And the first thing he wants to say to them in this chapter is he wants to say, hey, you know what? You guys have been facing gloom in the past, but there will be no more gloom for you. Would that be good news? You know, if you were anxious and worried about what was coming, if you were not sure that God cared, and someone came to you, hey, listen, this is what God wants me to tell you. There's no more gloom for you. And then he goes on to give some detail about what that looks like. He says, the people walking in darkness have seen a light. On those who were walking in a land of deep darkness, deep distress, deep gloom, on them, a light has shined. And this is how it will impact you. You're going to rejoice. You're going to celebrate. It's going to be like when the harvest comes in. You work all year long, slaving away to try to make sure that everything is done properly so that when the time is right, you can reap a harvest. It'll be like that kind of rejoicing. It'll be like the rejoicing that comes when warriors come home with their plunder. There's no more battle. It'll be like the kind of Rejoicing that comes when nations recognize that all their weapons of war could, can be thrown into a pile and burned and destroyed. They don't need them anymore. There's peace. When the kind of rejoicing that comes when you realize the oppression, the burden, the pain, the suffering that you've been experiencing, it's been lifted from your back. There's no more suffering. Isaiah says this is the kind of rejoicing that's going to come when this light starts to shine in your darkness. You can rejoice. And who brings this rejoicing? A child has been born to you. 
A son has been given to you. And authority rests on this child, on this son, on this baby. And he will have a name. And this baby will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And his government will know no end. And the peace that he brings will last forever. Would that be good news if you had been people who were like walking in gloom? If you had been anxious? And the thing that's really amazing to me that just causes me to go, wow, this baby will be the one. Call this baby Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father, Almighty God. The baby It completely blows my expectations. You guys know that I like to do little research deals and love my Google. One of the things that's kind of interesting to me is that you can do studies about the usage of words and how words get used or not used over time. And um, I discovered that the word adore was in serious decline beginning about the... 17th century. And for the past 200 years, the use of the word adore has been steadily declining. People use adore less and less. Adoration, that kind of thing. Awe, wonder, those kinds of things. Which got me wondering, if we stopped adoration, then what do we replace it with if we're not adoring? Do we like, you know, we like our explanations. We like to be able to figure things out and explain it. It's probably part of it. We, we spend our time not thinking about it, ignoring it, not paying attention to stuff. That's awesome and wonderful. Um, And then it got me thinking, if we're not adoring things, what would make us have awe or adoration? What would catch our attention and, and really cause us awe? If I had a complaint about Christmas, it might be not enough adoring, not enough adoration, not enough awe. Christmas is kind of a thing we do and we rush through it and we got all this stuff and it seems like awe and adoration takes time. Maybe that's why it's on the decline. We don't have time to adore. It takes time. It seems that we live in a time when we could be more awed. It is interesting, though, in this little adore word study that in the last, at the beginning of this century, adoration started to uptick. People, like, maybe wanted to have awe and adoration more. Which is good because this shapes us. We heard this several weeks ago when Leah preached about how worship and awe and adoration shapes us as people. This is what Isaiah says. Adoration dispels the gloom. Okay, so we're going to do a little experiment right here. Um, We're going to sing a little song. If you know, you can sing along with me, and then I'm going to ask you how you felt about it. Okay, here's the song. 
Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. How do you feel when you're singing that song? Can you feel gloom while you're adoring? That's the question that I have. I think this is what Isaiah is saying. He said, no, let's adore this child and you will have no more gloom. Even though there might still be some anxiety, everything hasn't yet been solved. The light is shining and the light is coming, but it's not shining everywhere yet. But still, we can adore him. This is what Isaiah invited us to do, to adore this child who was born for us, a son who was given for us, a baby with a government on his shoulders, a baby who brings lasting peace, a baby who will reign like King David reigned on his throne, establishing justice and righteousness forever and ever. Isn't that just great good news? The people of Isaiah's day were worried about their security and adoration helped them overcome their anxiety and their worry. Isaiah's world was messy. It had kind of dark and gloomy threats. Everybody thought that the answer was to get a really good king. If we could get a good king, he would bring justice and he would defend the people. He would set right what is wrong. A good king would help everyone have hope. And Isaiah says, let me tell you about this good king. For to us a child is born, a son is given. Isaiah invites us to adore this good king because he brings hope to us. But we're in the season of adjusting expectations, so I want to say, but wait, what kind of king will this be? What should we expect from him? And to get that expectation, I want you to jump just a couple chapters farther into Isaiah, to Isaiah 11. Listen to this description of the king. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of the knowledge of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy, with justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with his breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness will be the sash around his waist. And the wolf will live with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling will lie down together. And a little child will lead them, and the cow will feed with the bear, and the young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, and the infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest, and they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I can't read that without going... Wow. Oh, come, let us adore him. 
Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Isaiah says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. This king brings salvation. He dispels our fear. Isaiah says, Come now, let us settle this matter. Let us reason together. Though our sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they will be like wool. This king, this baby, almighty God, prince of peace, wonderful counselor, saves us. He came to be our savior. A good king. A king like no other king. That adjusts my expectations when I, when I take the time to think about it, when I slow down to do a little adoration. Then my reaction is similar to Isaiah's a little bit later. He says this, I will praise you, Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense. The baby is my strength and my defense. Wow. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. In that day you will say, Give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done, proclaim his name, he is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One, the King of Israel. Wow. This is the king born in a manger. So I'm hoping that some time together here this morning did this for us, that it adjusts our expectations, that we experience awe, that we adore the king, that we behold King Jesus that our expectations for what the meaning of the season is about gets changed. Um, there's different readings that you can use. We actually have some readings for you in the bulletin if you want to click on that Advent reading. It's an app you can use if you want to go further, make some more time to think on these things. And then I'm back to music. Music helps me a lot in this season to adjust those expectations. Um, I think I mentioned a couple weeks ago I was taking Mary to a concert. Last weekend we went to Lindsay Sterling who is a, a fabulous performer, I found out this week that she has more than a billion downloads on YouTube. If you want to see some interesting stuff, go look up Lindsay Sterling on YouTube. She has some wonderful Christmas stuff that she does. There was one song in particular that, that caused me to be reflective, to think about, do I miss King Jesus? Do I recognize the great gift that it is? And can I focus on beholding King Jesus uh, this season. And um, so it gave me some space to think about those things, and I thought it might do the same for you. So I'll have you uh, watch this little video clip right now.
Wow. <clears throat> it's that time of the service now that we have a chance to bring our prayers to God. And as we think about adoring him, and we think about setting our expectations, let's focus our prayers to the king, the baby Jesus. Won't you please pray with me? Dear Lord in heaven, we adore you. Lord, we are so thankful that you did come, that you kept your promise, and you sent a king, a king humble, like a baby in a manger. And Lord, help us to set our expectations, Lord, to to truly understand the glory that comes in this little one. Lord, help us to, to take that message out into this world, this world where there is still gloom. And Lord, as we pray this morning, we pray for those people who are still living in that darkness. Lord, who have sickness, who are without jobs, who are having relationship issues, Lord, who who just don't know who you are. Lord, for those people who have experienced a death in their family, for those people who just need a friend, Lord, help us. Help us to be that light. Help us to take the light of this, your son, Jesus Christ, our king, out to the world. Help us to set our expectations on you. For there is nothing that we can do to bring peace in this world. But what we can do, Lord, is reflect your light and this, your son, the prince of peace, into this world of gloom. And Lord, as we look forward to family celebrations and we look forward to to gifts and we look forward to just enjoying fellowship with each other as we get ready to celebrate Christmas We thank you, Lord, for those things. We thank you for that light that you have brought into our lives. Lord, now we just want to say thank you. Thank you and be with us. In your name we pray. Amen.